This episode of Tech News Day is sponsored by Audible and by Factor. Last week we ended the show with a fun little roast session centering around one of the richest and most powerful people on Earth uploading an absolute dog shit screenshot of his company's new flagship product. Mark Zuckerberg has been a recurring source of weird cringe over the years, whether it's attempting to seem normal while smoking meats in his backyard or using an entire bottle of sunscreen while out surfing. But this time the cringe was especially satisfying because it involved not only his weird self, but also his company, which is in the midst of declining growth and has pivoted its entire business model so hard into the metaverse that it changed its name from Facebook to Meta. Yeah. And this metaverse, in addition to not really being appealing to most people, it also just looks like dog shit. Yeah, to announce the availability of Horizon Worlds in Spain and France, Mark Zuckerberg showed off what was probably most accurately described as box art to an early 2000s Nintendo handheld game. Something with a title like World Baby, or some shit like that. World Baby, it's classic. Yeah, uh, no one would consider this to be modern graphics, much less the graphics for what is being pitched as cutting-edge, world-changing futuristic technology. It's not even good by VR standards. This screenshot had the opposite of its intended effect. It not only failed to generate any genuine interest in Horizon Worlds, it also further solidified that Mark Zuckerberg is a lame person running a lame company who has no taste. He really doesn't. Mm -hmm. I mean, the haircut could have told you that. Yeah, but that's like some weird Caesar complex thing that a bunch of rich people do. Yeah, it is weird. Mm -hmm. But they think it looks really cool. And no one is going to tell them otherwise. But yeah, as we always say, bullying, it works. Mm -hmm. It's not always good. Not making a judgment call on whether bullying is good or bad. It's good or bad, but it it works. Especially when you're bullying really insecure rich people. And a few days after the entire internet got together to bully Mark Zuckerberg, he posted the following to Instagram. Major updates to Horizon and Avatar graphics coming soon. I'll share more at Connect. Also, I know the photo I posted earlier this week was pretty basic. It was taken very quickly to celebrate a launch. The graphics in Horizon are capable of much more, even on headsets, and Horizon is improving very quickly. And attached to that post was a picture of what is apparently the new and improved virtual Zuck. Now... 50% more lifelike. Yeah, but that it all comes down to the fact that he, along with everyone else, thought the first one was good enough to share. Yeah, you wouldn't have shared it if you didn't think it looked good. You could look around at any other tech company on Earth. Uh, yes, I'm thinking of Elon Musk and Tesla. And it's been proven time and time again that you can just lie until you get there. Yeah. Like, why not just post something amazing looking and be like, this is what we're working towards. Well, because the product's already out. That's another thing. Yeah, it's but you're looking, at, sucks you're looking at the future. It. There's a, you're planning for what it could be like. And that's kind of what he did yeah. with the upgrade. It's not like he just was like, oh, let's do three years worth of work in one week. No, it was just like, hey, can, you, can anyone make this look better really quick using the engine that we're using? Yeah. So, I mean, he certainly looks less like a creepy ventriloquist dummy. So that's good. That's an upgrade. Uh, he's graduated from PS1 graphics to PS4 graphics. He's not even next gen or current gen. So, uh, a long way to go, I would say. Yeah. Uh, It should definitely be more appealing to users who see this one, though it's clearly just a mock-up. It it might as well be running the thing on, like, a game trailer that says, like... Graphics do not reflect actual gameplay. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And the actual Horizon Worlds product, it still looks like garbage, and it probably will for the very foreseeable future. And also, the whole reason for that original post in the first place was announcing the launch of the game in France and Spain. And apparently, at least for the Spanish version, they didn't bother to actually translate the game into Spanish. Oh. Uh, in fact, it, it sounds like the only translation that they did was a little bit of auto-translation that was done so poorly that the results are incomprehensible. 
So just great stuff all around. We are very glad this company pivoted its entire business model into this shit. I love watching the crash yeah. and burn. Yeah, we love to see it. Mm -hmm. uh, we can't wait to see what happens next. It's, I don't have high hopes for it. I do not have high, high hopes for the metaverse. One day you will be able to see the user's arms doing the Pete Buttigieg dance. But not today. But moving on now to news about another extremely rich, powerful, and weird dude. Elon Musk. So this trial in the Delaware Court of Chancery Woo! to decide whether Elon Musk actually has to buy Twitter after agreeing to buy it and then backing out is not until October. We figured things would be mostly quiet in the meantime now that both sides have issued their filings. But boy, were we wrong about that. Hmm. Woo! Yeah. Uh, this week, the whole case was turned on its head when a former Twitter executive decided to blow the whistle on what he says were huge problems with the way Twitter was run during his time there. And his allegations also play right into the court case between Elon Musk and Twitter, specifically regarding those dang bots. Yeah, so Elon Musk's stated reason for pulling out of the deal was that Twitter was lying about how bad of a spam bot problem their platform has. And as evidence for this, Mr. Musk uh, deployed very scientific and objective analysis methods, such as just polling his Twitter uh, followers or using a bot identification website that previously determined Musk's own account was a spam bot. So not very accurate and uh, not scientific at all. Uh, and therefore pretty easy to dismiss. Just, mm. okay, buddy, whatever. But this whistleblower complaint just threw a whole lot of fuel onto a fire that seemed basically extinguished, along with all so sorts of other accusations against his former employer. And here's the Washington Post who first broke the news. Twitter executives deceived federal regulators and the company's own board of directors about extreme, egregious deficiencies in its defenses against hackers, as well as its meager efforts to fight spam, according to an explosive whistleblower complaint from its former security chief. The complaint from former head of security Peter Zatko, a widely admired hacker known as Mudge, depicts Twitter as a chaotic and rudderless company beset by infighting, unable to properly protect its 238 million daily users, including government agencies, heads of state, and other influential public figures. Among the most serious accusations in the complaint, a copy of which was obtained by the Washington Post, is that Twitter violated the terms of an 11-year-old settlement with the Federal Trade Commission by falsely claiming that it had a solid security plan. Zatko's complaint alleges he had warned colleagues that half the company's servers were running out of date and vulnerable software, and that executives withheld dire facts about the number of breaches and lack of protection for user data, instead presenting directors with rosy charts measuring unimportant changes. So this Mudge fellow was first hired by Jack Dorsey back in 2020 after that big hack where a bunch of famous people's accounts were commandeered to post crypto spam. And uh, he was fired by current CEO Parag Agrawal back in January after Dorsey left the company. He filed his 84-page whistleblower report last month with the SEC, the DOJ, and FTC. And if his allegations are investigated and proven true, the company could face fines in the hundreds of millions of dollars, since Twitter already has obligations to the FTC from previous complaints, which this complaint alleges they're not abiding by. It's not good. Mm -mm. Uh, other specific complaints in the report include, include Twitter not deleting the data of a lot of users who leave the platform despite being required to do so. Uh, he says that 30% of company laptops are set to block automatic security fixes and that thousands of company laptops have complete copies of Twitter's source code, which would be a gold, gold mine for hackers if they managed to get a hold of it. Mm -hmm. uh, he says half of Twitter's full-time employees have wide access to the company's internal software and are not closely monitored. He also claims that changes to the product code are pushed out without first being tested in a simulated environment, which is highly unusual for a big company like this. 
Uh, and he also says that Twitter might have foreign spies on its payroll, which is not impossible considering they literally did have an agent of the Saudi government working for them uh, somewhat recently. Yeah, that was uh, exposed uh, in recent memory. And yeah, not great. Not great. Doesn't make the company look great. But uh, there's, of course, the stuff about the spam bots, which is highly relevant to the Elon Musk trial. Here's CNN Business. For years, Twitter had said in investor filings that fake or spam accounts represent less than 5% of the daily active users Twitter believes it can monetize with advertising. But Zatko's disclosure claims the statistic might not present a full picture of the number of spam accounts on the platform because it does not represent spam accounts as a percentage of all accounts on Twitter, merely as a subset of some selected Twitter users the company finds commercially meaningful. In 2021, Zatko says Twitter's site integrity chief told him the company doesn't really know how many bots there may be on Twitter. Executives had no incentive to find out, Zatko alleges in the disclosure, because, quote, they were concerned that if accurate measurements ever became public, it would harm the image and valuation of the company. But, like, even in that, like, the the measurement of how they're deciding this is, like, it's not, they're not taking a pool of every Twitter user. Yeah. It's active users on a daily basis. So the people who are actually using Twitter on a daily basis, 5% of those uh, are considered spam bots. Yeah, and it's like, I mean, we've talked about this, but the nature of this sort of thing is that no one will ever be able to give you a exact answer yeah. for this. It can only ever be an estimate, and there's not any perfect method for making that estimation. So it's like... Yeah, it's kind That's of... That's what was annoying about when Elon was bringing this stuff up. It's like, there's literally no fucking way to actually find an exact number of this. Yes, it's the... it's the, Their clarification of it is correct as far as monetizing the company because they're taking into consideration only accounts that are monetizable or able to use for advertising. Because if an account is like a bot that's just been sitting with an egg icon for five years, that's not going to be considered an active user and wouldn't go into that tally. So... I don't know. It's... uh, But it does sound like they... He does claim that they they were more interested in, like, raising the number of users than getting rid of... Yeah. I don't know. I mean, that doesn't (laughs) take anything else away from the claims. Yeah. If they turn out to be true. So, yeah, Twitter, of course, denies all of these allegations, calling them misrepresentations or just outright falsehoods. And they say that Mudge was let go from the company for being bad at his job. But this all plays right into Elon's hand, and his legal team has already subpoenaed both Mudge and former CEO Jack Dorsey, uh, who doesn't come off too well in this complaint either, uh, is described as basically an absentee boss who would sometimes go weeks at a time without speaking a single word in meetings, which I sounds mean, like Jack. <laughs> yeah, with, even from the outside looking in, I believe that. I've taken a vow of silence. Mm-hmm. So yeah, how much leverage does all this give Elon Musk in this case? So here's Wired. Allegations of concealment are a very common grounding for a fraud claim, says Adam C. Pritchard, a professor of law at the University of Michigan, specializing in corporate and securities law. In this situation, it gives Musk an opening to argue that even with due diligence, he wouldn't have uncovered the issue. The circumstances around the revelations play in the Musk's hands, believes Pritchard. That makes it easier for him to argue that this is a material adverse change rather than a topic he waived when he waived due diligence, he says. As always, it is all about negotiating leverage, and this gives Musk a bit more leverage. And other expert opinions from non-lawyers that Wired spoke to also lean towards this probably being Elon's get-out-of-jail-free card. I guess we'll see, though, and, and there will surely be further investigation into this before the case goes to trial, and also uh, the government is investigating it. Yeah, uh, <laughs> just complete conspiracy hat. Uh, obviously, people online are like, well, 
it would seem very uh, in line with previous things that he's done to reach out to the company's most recent uh, executives yeah. and try to get some kind of information out of them. This specifically the a security timing, Yeah, the timing is uh, a lot of people brought up the timing because this guy lost his job in January. And it's like, oh, suddenly he's like got these deep, uh, you know, serious concerns about this company that he worked at. And it just happens to be releasing it like right as uh, they're involved in a major lawsuit. Yeah, it is. It's it's suspicious. Maybe not true. Probably not true. But there's yeah. at least enough there to start tugging at it and be like, yeah, that it just seems like something that would happen. Because there's there's other ex-employees who've been like, nah, that guy's a total crank. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm probably leaning towards everything he's saying is mostly true, but it's also true of every tech company. And yeah. this is why they shouldn't be allowed to keep any data because it's in these kind of large systems with lots of moving parts are yeah. just inherently not secure. I don't know. A- yeah, anyway. so we're, well, we're all going to find out because all of this is, uh, well, not all of it, but a lot of this will expose so much of Twitter just with the court battle if it does go through with a... Uh, yeah. Yeah. The damn bird app. Anyway, yeah, it all, it all depends really on how truthful this report is and whether Musk's legal team can gather the actual data to back it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wired also points out the following, which is probably a bit relevant. Unusually for a company that has been disharmonious in the months since Musk launched his takeover bid, Twitter's rank-and-file employees have not flocked to support Zatko's whistleblowing efforts. The feeling inside is that Mudge is a bitter shit trying to get revenge for the company outing him as the ineffective, sloppy employee he was, says one, speaking on condition of anonymity. And uh, yeah, it's a pretty bold statement. Another former Twitter employee, Ian Brown, has claimed that he was asked by Zatko to send Twitter data to a rando buddy of his in Texas, with the implication that he's not a trusted whistleblower when it comes to data integrity. And Zatko did not respond immediately to a request for comment. I guess we'll see. Yeah. This will be sorted out uh, with a fine-tooth comb for the foreseeable future, I, I reckon. It's just wild that this comes out now and specifically like right in the dead center of yeah. of like the height of Elon trying to back out of the deal and the actual court case that's happening in October. So I love a good uh, twist. Yeah, it's must be sweeps week. And Twitter was pushing to get the trial moved even more immediately. I'm, I'm now I'm curious if they're going to ask to push it back further. And then Elon's going to be like, actually, you know how I said I wanted it pushed back? I want it to happen sooner now. It would be so hilarious, though, if this was all just some like uh, game on Elon. We're like, we we really want him to keep the trial where it is, so we're going to tell him that we're going to move it back, and then he's going to want to move it up, and then we're going to be like, oh, geez, our hands are tied. Yeah, the old uh, court date shuffle. (laughs) Anyway, moving on now to a story about another executive who is much less well-known than Elon Musk, Jack Dorsey, or Mark Zuckerberg, but who's still very well-known in the world of crypto, or at least well-known enough that scammers impersonating him were able to successfully dupe several crypto projects into thinking they were talking to an influential executive at one of the world's biggest cryptocurrency exchanges, and not just some scammers cleverly using deepfake technology. Uh, Here's Engadget. Binance's chief communications officer says hackers used a deepfake of his image in Zoom calls to scam cryptocurrency executives. Patrick Hillman claims the hackers successfully duped crypto project representatives into thinking he would help their tokens get listed on Binance's exchange. In a blog post spotted by Bitcoin News, 
Hillman wrote that the scammers built the deepfake based on his interviews and TV appearances. Hillman learned about the deception after receiving messages thanking him for discussing listing opportunities. However, he said he didn't meet with any of those people and that he's not involved in Binance's listing process. Quote, this deepfake was refined enough to fool several highly intelligent crypto community members, oh, <laughs> Hillman wrote. It's not clear how many crypto projects were affected by the scam or how much the folks behind them may have paid for the promise of a Binance listing. Binance doesn't have a set figure for listing fees. It asks projects to propose a number that they're comfortable with and donates the fees to charity. So this is all entirely according to Patrick Hillman, the victim of the scam. And he doesn't provide any evidence aside from a screenshot of a text conversation where someone asks him if it was really him that they were talking to. Mm -hmm. So it's not clear exactly how sophisticated this deep fake was, uh, but we are doubtful that it was much more advanced than any other real-time deep fake examples that we've seen. So it's kind of funny that he says it was refined enough to fool several highly intelligent crypto community members, uh, considering you know, how often members of the crypto community get scammed in mm -hmm. various ways that seem almost too dumb to work on uh, a complete idiot, much less someone running a crypto operation. That's the problem. The opposite of copium is too much hopium. You, get, you start huffing too much hopium, you start believing shit that isn't real. Yeah. So still, though, this, this is a type of scam that we see popping up more and more. And with video and, and audio deepfake tech only getting better over time, it's likely something we will continue to see more often. Yeah. So it's a cool new excuse. That wasn't me. It was a deepfake. If something seems too good to be true, it probably is. Yeah, that's like, that's the thing. Just don't be stupid. Use your common fucking sense. Yeah. Uh, we do have more news coming right up. But first, this episode is sponsored by Audible. James Patterson's thrilling adventure series, Daniel X, gets an exclusive audio-only origin story in Daniel X Genesis, brought to life by an all-star cast. Daniel is an ordinary teenager just trying to fit in at school when he suddenly finds out on his 16th birthday, no less, that he's anything but ordinary. Not only is he an alien, but he has superpowers that let him conjure anything he wants. And it turns out his parents didn't die in a car accident, but were killed in an epic battle with an intergalactic villain. Mm. So those superpowers are just what Daniel needs to join the fight, if he can muster the courage to save the human race. It's a fast-paced, funny, fully immersive adventure featuring performances by Michael Cimino, uh, Abigail Breslin, Mercedes Rule, Jimmy Simpson, and many more. And you can find it only on Audible. Listen at audible.com slash Genesis. And I, I use, uh, I'm a member of Audible. I read uh, read audiobooks every month. It's a, it's a great service. I love it. So, And this episode is sponsored by Factor. Factor's ready-to-eat meal delivery makes it easy to stay on top of a busy schedule while still sticking to your goals this fall. Factor's the perfect meal solution for an on-the-go lifestyle. Whether it's a quick lunch at your desk between meetings or a fully prepared dinner that you didn't have to shop for, prep for, or clean up after, they've got you covered for weeks when free time just isn't a thing. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are delivered ready to heat and eat in two minutes, so you can fuel up fast and get on with your day. Factor's new Protein Plus preference makes it easy to power up with deliciously satisfying meals with 30 grams of protein or more. Factor now offers 30-plus meals per week and 33-plus add-on options like smoothies, juices, snacks, and more to keep me going all day, every day. New Gourmet Plus meals make eating at home feel extra special. For an additional cost, these meals are prepared to perfection by Factor's chefs and ready to eat in record time. So you can savor the flavor, not stress the prep. Uh, when things get extra busy, Factor is, of course, flexible. Change your order up every week with plans from 4 to 18 meals per week or pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. And we love Factor because they don't just save us time, they keep us satisfied. Their chef-crafted recipes are packed with restaurant-quality flavor. It's so good I almost can't believe it's dietitian approved 
Factor puts in the work so I don't have to. Their registered dietitians and expert chefs work hand-in-hand to create meals I can feel good about eating every day, sometimes multiple times per day. Factor even knows my preferences. They offer vegan and veggie, protein plus, keto and calorie smart options, cold pressed juices, smoothies, energy bites, extra protein, veggie sides, and more to keep me fueled and focused all day long. So head to go.factor75.com newsday130 and use code newsday130 to get $130 off across six boxes. That is code newsday130 at go.factor75.com newsday130 for $130 off. Links also below in the description. All right, back into the news, and we might as well update you on the whole Trump Mar-a-Lago raid, top secret document saga that's going on. The actual content of the documents that Trump took home with him after losing his job are still a mystery due to their classified nature. But this week, we got a little more insight into the scale of these documents, and it definitely wasn't just a couple loose files that ended up in the wrong moving box (laughs) of Butterfingers. Uh, It was actually more than 300 classified documents, adding up to over 700 pages, which explains why the government went to such extraordinary lengths to get them back. Uh, Here's the New York Times from Monday. The initial batch of documents retrieved by the National Archives from former President Donald J. Trump in January included more than 150 marked as classified, a number that ignited intense concern at the Justice Department and helped trigger the criminal investigation that led FBI agents to swoop into Mar-a-Lago this month, seeking to recover more, multiple people briefed on the matter said. In total, the government has recovered more than 300 documents with classified markings from Mr. Trump since he left office, the people said. That first batch of documents returned in January, another set provided by Mr. Trump's aides to the Justice Department in June, and the material seized by the FBI in the search this month. The previously unreported volume of the sensitive material found in the former president's possession in January helps explain why the Justice Department moved so urgently to hunt down any further classified materials he might have. Yeah. (laughs) It just sounds like they're like, no, we meant all the documents. God damn it. (laughs) We've been here twice already. Don't make us come back. Uh, So basically, they knew Trump took a bunch of documents he wasn't supposed to, and they came down to Florida in January to retrieve them, took inventory, realized there were more documents missing, went down to Florida again in June to retrieve them, took inventory again, and again realized there was shit missing. I'm starting to think they just like the beautiful east coast of Florida. Uh Mm -hmm. Uh, Anyways, they finally sent the FBI down to Mar-a-Lago this past month to put an end to all of it. Listen, we love visiting been a real joy coming down here to Palm Beach, but we got to get back to D.C. We got families. Uh, Trump and his team, they were all well aware that the government expected all these documents to be returned, but they dragged the whole thing out under the pretext that uh, um, actually the president is totally allowed to take uh, any, you know, classified documents. These are my favorite documents. Yeah. I love I love this document. Watch me hug them. Watch me hug them. So when he leaves office, he can just do that. That's the that's the explanation. Uh, Here's The New York Times again. President Donald J. Trump took more than 700 pages of classified documents, including some related to the nation's most covert intelligence operations, to his private club and residence in Florida when he left the White House in January 2021, according to a letter that the National Archives sent to his lawyers this year. The letter, dated May 10th and written by the acting U.S. archivist Deborah Stridel Wall to one of Mr. Trump's lawyers, Evan Corcoran, described the state of alarm in the Justice Department as officials there began to realize how serious the documents were. It also suggested that top department prosecutors and members of the intelligence community were delayed in conducting a damage assessment about the document's removal from the White House as Mr. Trump's lawyers tried to argue that some of them might have been protected by executive privilege. Now, what's funny here is that this letter from the U.S. archivist was first made public by one of Trump's stooges, a guy named John Solomon 
who released it to prove that Trump that the Trump raid was specifically authorized by Joe Biden, even though it, all it reveals is the extent to which Trump definitely knew for a long time that they wanted these documents back and definitely had numerous opportunities to return them quietly without having the FBI raid his house. And as far as we can tell, the letters only indicate that Biden was aware of the situation and agreed that the documents should be returned, not that he had any direct role in sending the FBI down to Mar-a-Lago. So, interesting strategy from Team Trump with this reveal. Uh, again, anytime that Team Trump asks for or provides information, it damns them. So keep Check doing Checkmate. Look at that. It's like, that says that uh, you guys were well aware that they wanted those documents back and were stonewalling them the yeah. entire way. Two things. Did you see the uh, the thing where Eric Trump accidentally leaked like the Wi-Fi information? No. Uh, he took not. a picture and it has like the Wi-Fi info and everything on it. And the second one was, I, I don't know how far this made it out of Bachelor Nation, but uh, one of the former uh, bachelors or someone on The Bachelor was like defending Trump uh, and Mar-a-Lago about how secure it was and talked about his experience. And it didn't sound secure at all. He's like, security was really cool. They let me go wherever I wanted. It's like, I don't think this is the defense that you think it is. Yeah, I love it. these people. They just have no, they have no sense of reality. So they're just like, no, you don't understand. It's exactly what you, uh, what you said. It they is. had to unlock the door but to let me walk good. right in. Yeah. <laughs> no, you don't understand. Like he had a key to the file cabinet and everything. Yeah, it was locked down. I mean, you need like a paperclip or something to get get to these files. So, yeah, uh, what's the big deal? Oh, but uh, yeah, well, speaking of sensitive documents, nowadays you can pretty reliably depend on your computer hard drives to keep your files safe, but that wasn't always the case. Before solid state drives, hard disk drives were the norm, and due to their mechanical and magnetic nature, they were much more sensitive, especially in laptops, where one bad drop could mean losing everything. But on top of the standard hazards of the hard disk drives, it turns out that there were other unexpected hazards, like this one outlined recently in a Microsoft developer blog post titled, Janet Jackson Had the Power to Crash Laptop Computers, written by software engineer Raymond Chen. Here he says, a colleague of mine shared a story from Windows XP product support. A major computer manufacturer discovered that playing the music video for Janet Jackson's Rhythm Nation would crash certain models of laptops. <laughs> I would not have wanted to be in the laboratory that they must have set up to investigate this problem. Not an artistic judgment. One discovery during the investigation is that playing the music video also crashed some of their competitors' laptops. And then they discovered something extremely weird. Playing the music video on one laptop caused a laptop sitting nearby to crash, even though that other laptop wasn't playing the video. What's going on? Turns out the song contained one of the natural re resonant frequencies for the model of 5400 RPM laptop hard drives that they and other manufacturers used. The manufacturer worked around the problem by adding a custom filter in the audio pipeline that detected and removed the offending frequencies during audio playback. This was the laptop version of the brown note. Yeah. Yeah. The frequency that literally shut down their hard drives. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> that poop came out of the computer. That was weird. It shit itself. Hmm. So, yeah, it turns out a lot of laptops around 20 years ago had their own brown note. Janet Jackson's 1989 dance pop hit Rhythm Nation. Poor guys. Uh, it was unclear exactly how this was discovered or what exactly the troubleshooting process was like, but it must have been a very bizarre discovery. Uh, so far, we haven't seen anyone try to dust off an old laptop to try and recreate the problem, but any laptop hard drive from that far back probably already died a while ago. Yeah. 
Uh, this also isn't the only documented example of this kind of thing. Uh, the 2008 YouTube video, Shouting in the Data Center, features a guy at a data center screaming directly into a rack of drives and showing on his analytics how badly it affects their performance. Here's a clip. This is like the opposite of talking to your plants to get them to grow. Yeah. Yeah. Don't yell at your hard drive. No matter how mad it makes you, don't yell at it. It gets scared. Well, it's just like the scene in Ghostbusters. Yeah. Where they start shit-talking the toaster and it gets real angry. Hmm. Ghostbusters 2, I believe. Yeah, that's that's definitely not Ghostbusters 1. Scene. Yeah, where the vibes flow below the city. And if they get upset, they uh, mm. yeah. they can take over a big uh, piece of art. Vigo the Carpathian. Mm -hmm. Speaking of sounds, let's close out the episode with some NASA news. Uh, here's Vice. In space, no one can hear you scream, the saying goes, because sound waves can't travel through the vacuum that extends across most of the universe. However, space can be downright noisy in the right conditions, such as the hot gas surrounding the immense black hole at the center of the Perseus Galaxy Cluster, according to NASA. The agency recently tweeted an eerie audio clip that represents actual sound waves rippling through the gas and plasma in this cluster, which is 250 million light years from Earth. Quote, the misconception that there is no sound in space originates because most of space is a vacuum, providing no way for sound waves to travel, the agency tweeted. A galaxy cluster has so much gas that we've picked up actual sound. Here it is, amplified and mixed with other data to hear a black hole. And we know you're just dying to hear what a black hole sounds like, but be warned. Be warned. This is extremely creepy. So yeah, I'm mean, not sure what we expected, but that sounds like a million tormented souls wailing in agony. I think they accidentally took the audio recording of hell. Yeah, we are just the tinnitus of God's ear. Yeah. And it's just the crying of souls <laughs> that keeps them up at night. <laughs> uh, but if you prefer something less unsettling, it sounds like heavy road traffic recorded from a microphone submerged in a bucket of water. Yeah, okay. There's also that. Nothing, nothing creepy about that. It's just that. a Foley artist having a little bit of fun out there. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually just a dude passing gas really slowly. It's a guy next to a black hole just like tapping shoes so it sounds like walking. <laughs> Let me get that. <laughs> All right. Uh, nobody respects the Foley artist, but yeah. God does. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, there you go. <laughs> That's the sounds you'll hear if you ever find yourself being sucked into a black hole. Sweet dreams. Yeah, I don't know if this is more or less creepy than just the complete silence of most of space. I don't know. It's like a fucking stoner metal album, like a sleep album or something, just I, floating out there. I'm sure someone, I was actually thinking about doing this, but uh, just loading this into like a fucking sampler and making an instrument out of it. Because uh, yeah. there's, yeah, there's a lot of sonic potential to that sound. If you don't do it, Trent Reznor will. Yeah. This sound's going to be the basis of the social network too. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, uh, that's it for the, uh, this week's episode of Tech News Day. If you haven't already, watch our video from uh, Monday where we talk about uh, the Trump lawsuit, but also we go into uh, a slide that is broken yeah. in Michigan. And uh, the fact that there is a very uh, delicious... Uh, people in the comments said the peaches are delicious. From a peach Colorado, company yeah. that uh, dedicates itself to 9-11 trutherism. But yeah, someone in the comments was like, actually, I've had them and they are as good as you, you're imagining. Well, good.
Yeah, they clearly have passion. And we also have a newer episode of Weekly Weird News for you to check out about Razzle Khan. So check both those episodes out. Subscribe, leave a comment, a like, click the join button if you want, and we'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Bye.